people think shadow is all about how you're bad and it really is it's just where you're wounded every life has its seasons with some magic will get through hippie witch has her reasons and she's sharing them with you Happy Witch Season 5. Hello, thanks for joining me for episode 522 of Hippie Witch Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic. And Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Please Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com, where you will also find the show notes for this episode, including links to Jennifer Hill, PhD, again. We're having her back on the show again. You all really, really loved when I had her on, was it? This spring, early this spring, to talk about the shadow for, yeah, it was before spring. It was Imolk. I had her on as like a little Imolk treat because I'm just a shadow nerd, I guess, because I want to say I love doing shadow work around Imolk because it's like an answer to the shadow work that you do around Samhain. And then here I am doing Shadow Love Summer Camp because summer's a great time to do shadow work. I just like it, okay? I like doing shadow work. And Jennifer has a lot to say on the subject. And so I just couldn't see how I could not have her on for Shadow Love Summer Camp considering all that. That little snippet that I shared at the very beginning of this episode. People think shadow is all about how you're bad and it really is... It's just where you're wounded. I loved that so much. It comes at the very, very end of the interview, but I wanted to lead with it to say, this is where we're headed here today. This is what this episode is all about, but with a twist. We're going to be talking about cultural shadows and how the media influences what you think, how you feel, what you do, if you're anxious. My response to all of that is just to consume with discernment and to check in with myself. Where am I emotionally, energetically to be able to handle certain kinds of content? And I think we live in a time of extreme privilege if you're looking for options, which allows us to be very, very, very picky. So I just lean into all of that. Jennifer's take is quite different. I'm a little bit excited. He, I feel like an evil supervillain. <laughs> like, ah, we're going to fuck some shit up today. <laughs> we just wanted to talk about this in a really frank way that both of us are aware might be triggering to some people. Because in the past, when I've talked about like how video games or movies could be impacting the health of your mind, people respond to that in a really angry way sometimes. So we we knew going into this that we were walking we were walking a slippery slope, but it was a worthy endeavor. And I think some really interesting things came out of this conversation. Before I go any further, because I'm about to just hop right into it, it's good. I don't need to spoil it with a bunch of rambling here at the beginning. But First, let me thank the very nice patrons that support this podcast and, in effect, 
my son and I. Thank you so much to anyone who has ever been a patron and welcome new patrons. I'm not actually sure where I left off in the thanking, so <laughs> there could be a repeat here or two. I'm not sure, but thank you very much, Kendra, Dementia, Pink, and Sarah. If I left anyone out, I apologize. Thank you all so much. For sure, if you're a patron and you want to be social, go over and connect over on Discord. We got a groovy little group of the kindest people on the internet over there. Seriously, I've been doing this for years and I can't believe how cool this little community is. The nicest, the most supportive, friendliest people. Makes me so proud. And then of course, there's a bunch of bonus content over there as well. So knock yourself out, hope you love it. And without any further ado, let's just roll right into our interview. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome back to Hippie Witch. Hey, Joanna. Good to be back. Let me be clear about something. You are back because you are a very triggering person. Oh, no. (laughs) You said something to me that I reacted to internally. And when that happens to me, I always take note because I'm a big old shadow worker and I've mm-hmm. had the most amazing insights ever since. Really interesting things have unfolded from you just saying one thing <laughs> on my podcast, yeah. which was about the media that you consume and the entertainment. But you also just want to give everyone a heads up really quick before we get started. So you go ahead and do that. Yeah, I want to give a heads up that a couple of things. First of all, I know that what I'm about to talk about is likely to be unpopular. Just in my personal experience, having these conversations one-on-one with people, I I run into basically what you just said. I'm triggering people with what I have to say. The other thing I want to kind of preempt any arguments or discussion, I am not an advocate of censorship or canceling anything, or, you know, what I have to say is not really about trying to control media from the side of the media. It's, it's more just people's personal consumption. personal consumption habits, exactly. Yeah. Well, you said something about being so careful about what you consume. And my first thought was like, oh boy, here we go. Because my mom is very much like this. I was raised like this. And what it created for me was I was hyper sheltered. So much so that I was living in a fantasy world, really, that did not match (laughs) reality. And I got mowed over many, many times because I had no idea what was going on. We were so sheltered, like only Christian music, only Christian programming. And she still to this day is like, I don't like that movie because there's bad words in it, or we don't, we won't watch that because it's this or that. And so I, particularly in my early twenties, I was like all the Quentin Tarantino things and killing Zoe and all like this violent stuff, which I just can't tolerate anymore. (laughs) Yeah. But it was a response to that. But what you said brought me right back to all of that. And I think you actually meant it in a different way. So it might be good to clarify that a little bit. Yeah, I, I meant it in a different way. Just it, it's not even about the, the Christianity side of things. It's not about religion or spirituality. It's just more about, okay, let me, let me start at the beginning. So psychologically, you have two halves of your mind. 
And halves is even a misnomer because your conscious mind, the one side, is a teeny, teeny fraction of your total mind, right? Yeah. Your unconscious mind is also always experiencing everything that you experience. And so when you go to sit down and watch a movie or watch a television series, you may be consciously telling yourself, I know that this is not real. I know this is fiction. I know this is dramatized. But your unconscious mind is not capable of making that distinction at all. And so what happens is by the nature of story design, you, they create a protagonist that they are hopefully wanting their audience to identify with, right? Yeah. That's kind of the first rule of storytelling, create a character that's relatable. And when we say relatable, it really means you can identify with that character. Mm -hmm. And from the perspective of your unconscious mind, the minute you start identifying with a character, you're psychologically fused with that person for the rest of the movie or the television show. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for for the screenwriters and directors out there and the actors. (laughs) From the unconscious mind point of view, that's basically what happens. And then from that point forward, every single thing that that character experiences, you are also experiencing. And that is where I kind of talk about this being a collective PTSD issue, because so much of our media at this point is so brutal, just gratuitously violent. You know, there's rapes, there's torture, there's violence, very casual violence. And you are having that experience when you watch that. Again, even though your conscious mind is like, now, now, it's just a movie. So does that make sense? On a psychological 100%. level. Yeah, I'm a storyteller. I love movies. And what you're saying is accurate. And the second step, first, you have to identify with that person, right? But also, they have to be in conflict or there is no story. Right. And you have to up the stakes as the story goes along. So that lends itself very well to all the scary things, right? Something that someone has to fight against. Exactly, exactly. And so from a psychological perspective, I think that we are just traumatizing ourselves for some people on a daily basis when they sit down to watch this kind of stuff. But not even like the extreme violence, like cultural scripts in cognitive psych, there's something called schema theory, where we develop kind of like a heuristic scripted way of dealing with social interaction. So I see people a lot kind of reacting what they've seen on TV, like the, the, the big takedown, right? Where somebody's like, oh, you're bad. I'm mad at you. You did this, this, and this. And they're, they're, for the audience, there's this great cathartic moment when they see that person, you know, let loose on another character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go and reenact that in, in their real lives. And unfortunately, that, that dramatic takedown isn't really a good way to solve problems or deal with actual real interpersonal conflict. So these things are just kind of like all the way down to to the conversational uh, aspects of media getting reacted all the way to the violence. I think a lot about the mass shootings that we experience on a regular basis in the United States And I think a lot of that comes from what I'm talking about. 
it sounds a lot like you're trying to take people's video games away, Jennifer. That's that is I what know. they're going to hear, and they're going to be so I angry know. because when I've tried, <laughs> when I've kind of sort of tiptoed in that direction, I get a lot of blowback. People yeah. love love their video games, but I do know from being married to an addict that formerly being married to an addict that you have to constantly up the stakes so that the experience stays novel. And so like, for example, if you're a sex addict, you have to constantly keep it novel, which means it has to constantly increase the risk and being kind of on the edge of the experience to stay where you want to be like stimulated in that way. And violence is just like that as well. If you're enjoying a game where you're like killing a bunch of people with a sword, maybe then like the next time you want it to be more exciting, something even more extreme. Exactly. And movies and television are doing the same thing. And again, to bring it back to the psychological perspective, um, every human being on the planet has complexes, right? You've heard that term. Mm -hmm. And complexes at their core always have an archetype always and what happens when we watch television and movies and play video games because that is very much part of this as well is that any any predisposition a given person has towards a given archetype when you then watch or or play a game that activates that archetype, it then can hijack the behavior of that person. And so I don't know if you remember the Colorado movie theater shooter, James Holmes. Do you remember that? I don't that pay case? very attention to who is who. I really, those, yeah. things, those things actually activate my post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, I've, ha- I've, had, I've had to leave movie theaters before or just suffered so horribly for two hours through a movie because I was watching the exits. Exactly, exactly. This guy, he 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 dressed up like the Joker. He dyed his hair bright orange and then he went into a movie theater and shot people up. And in that moment, he was under the control of that archetype, which is the Joker, the, especially the shadow side of the Joker right now, I think is very prevalent in our media. And I, I'm not saying that the people who made that movie are responsible for his behavior at all. All I'm saying is that these media have have an effect. And for people who have a predisposition to psychotic difficulties, to lose contact with reality, to get archetypally triggered, those archetypes get triggered when, when they see those movies. And then next thing you know, they're going and they're shooting up a mall or a movie theater or a school or or whatever. Yeah, as again, art, advocating censorship. So yeah, as an art lover, I appreciate that. And also, I just want to say, as somebody who works with archetypes, this is so powerful to understand not just about what you want to avoid, but what you want to embrace. You can actually tune into an archetype that's healing or empowering in some way, and it can have the same effect, but to your benefit and to the benefit of the planet. Exactly. And that's actually another interesting benefit of watching movies and television shows. If you can do it without having that archetypal triggering happen, which I'm not sure very many people can pull that off. But if you can, this is a great way to get an idea of what's actually going on in the collective unconscious. You see themes emerge. So 
we had a big run of different zombie films, zombie TV shows, The Walking Dead and um, World War Z. I mean, there's a, a bazillion zombie movies, right? That's the collective unconscious set, sending us a signal, hey, heads up, you've got zombies in your midst, basically. And, and if you look at this from a symbolic perspective and not a literal one, with the rise of smartphones and people being, you know, so drawn into their screens that they're walking down the street and they walk into traffic or something mm. that that's zombie behavior. So that's the one really strong benefit of looking at the content of what's going on in our media. You get an idea of what's going on collectively for Americans in particular in Western culture, but you could do this with any cultures films to see, you know, what's going on in the collective unconscious. So yeah, that's one big benefit. The other thing I wanted to mention too, to bring it back to psychology, I don't know if you know about the Bobo doll experiment in the sixties and early seventies. No, but I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah. This was a great, great experiment in social psychology. So Alfred Bandura, he just died the other day, sadly, uh, rest his soul. He set up this experiment where he had observers behind a two-way mirror watching children. And in this room, they put a variety of what they termed aggressive toys and non-aggressive toys. They made a, a mix. And in the corner, they had this Bobo doll. And at the time, this was like, you know, those weighted balloons where you can walk up and punch the balloon and it just pops right back up? Yeah. Yeah, it was one of those. Okay. And they exposed groups of children to watching adults go into this playroom. In one group, the kids watched an adult take a bat and beat the hell out of that Bobo doll, screaming obscenities the whole way. Oh, no. I know, right? These experiments are always, <laughs> I mean, they're often done on animals. They're always just so horrible. <laughs> I know, I know. Then the next group of children watched an adult go into the room and play with the non-aggressive toys and just not not beat anybody up not express that rage and then they had a third condition where they didn't watch an adult do anything they just were let into the playroom to play without any modeling and so what happened was the kids who watched the adult beat the hell out of the bobo doll repeated that behavior they weren't told to. All they did was watch the adult do that. And then they went into the room and beat the doll up too. And the reason this is important is because humans are social animals and we learn vicariously. We learn through the modeling of the adults around us when we're growing up. And if you take the results of this experiment and extrapolate it over into what kids are seeing in, in their media you can see where the problem is because yes. this behavior is being modeled and not again, not just like the extreme aggressive behavior. This is something as simple as again, just the, the way that we talk to each other. Kids learn those taunts on the, on the playground. That's not inherent in, in, in the spirit of the child. They're learning that because they're seeing it modeled on TV and in the movies and in, in the adults around them. Mm -hmm. I have so much to say about this, Jennifer. <laughs> I don't yeah, know how much you want to hear, but 
you know, I've been, I love shadow work. I've been doing it for many years and I've been on a concentrated kick this year in particular, just, you know, 2020 brought up a lot of stuff and we're still in a lot of uncertainty. I was like, I need to go in there and, yeah. and be really present to what's going on inside of me. And two things came together that were so illuminating. One was a guided meditation and one was our conversation, my conversation with you earlier this year. And in this guided meditation, which came after our conversation, I realized how in the 80s, there were all these movies about basically the popular kids versus the nerds. And yep. I could do a four hour podcast on this with lots of yeah. crying and like, but I was mesmerized by this. And it went all through my childhood and all through my high school years. Often the popular kids were kind of a bully. The nerd was the outcast to become one. The nerd had to become popular. It had to become yeah. acceptable and lose themselves in some way, or maybe they could find themselves and become popular. But the, the reward was to become popular. And the bullies were always supported. They usually used like a dark humor to bully. Yep. And I just realized how I didn't necessarily become a bully, but I adapted behaviors to become untouchable, to become cool, to become popular. I was a huge, like an embarrassing nerd, called a nerd, called a weirdo. And so I had to shove that part of myself down to become acceptable and to become cold and cool. And, and it worked, but also it caused a whole host of problems. And I had no idea that's where it came from. And it, it really brought to mind this concept of modeling that I talk so much about. And you can understand something you think so thoroughly. And then years later, you're like, oh, my God. But yeah. when we witness something happen to someone else, if we witness someone being shamed, we take note of that. And that can yeah. be in a movie or that can be in real life. That's precisely what I mean. That's that you, you put it so well. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And it's unconscious. You don't even realize that you're doing it. You don't even realize that you that you're reenacting what you saw in that movie or in that TV show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, because my it's infectious. It's mm -hmm. infectious. Oh, it is. And my journey to get back to that nerd is so complicated. <laughs> it's taken so long, but I love her so much. And I remember who I was before this started. And that's one of the joys of shadow work to me. I know it's perilous and hard and something else I wanted to talk to you about is you warn people about it, but I've only ever had great joy in doing it. Even if it brings me through discomfort mm -hmm. and pain an ickiness like a creepiness sometimes I get like just I feel really creeped out and I can only kind of take so much in so I only take so much in you know it's like oh we've hit creepy territory like it needs to stop right here and I I'm happy with whatever insight has come if that makes sense and so oh, yeah it's a joy to me because I feel lighter and freer and more complete each time yeah, it's it's really a very powerful spiritual practice. I think it's one of the most powerful tools we have as spiritual people and particularly as pagans and 
and witches and druids and all the other different types of alternate occult paths through spirituality. I think that people who are drawn to the occult kind of are already primed to do shadow work because on some level, I think we all carry the archetype of the witch, which means we have been alienated, ostracized, misunderstood, so on and so forth. And that's also part of why I caution people as well. You've got to be careful with it because when, how do I come at this? Hold on. Basically, I think people who are drawn to the occult have been scapegoated in their in their family systems and in their their peer groups at school, like you were saying, you know, the, the nerds versus the, the cool kids. I think a lot of people from the occult have had that experience. And so shadow work is both the, the healing for that, but it's also dangerous because if you haven't dealt with what happened to you as a kid, if, if you have the internalized voices, particularly of your parents, that, that vicious inner critic the internalized voices of the kids you grew up with that mocked you, if you haven't dealt with those before diving deeper into shadow work, when you start to pick at your shadow, you're going to come up with basically that those internalized voices and they can be so cutting and so cruel, even though they're from 25, 30 years ago when you were a kid or whatever, they're still, they're still, dangerous and so what I'm actually counseling people towards now if you have that problem it's better to look more for the ways that you're good because you've grown up believing that you're bad does that make sense yeah yeah it actually ties into something else I've been thinking about is that the conversation around spiritual bypass is valid yep And sometimes it goes too far into kind of like a bullying territory of the people who are at the phase you're talking about right now, where you have to really start to practice positive thinking, positive self-talk, self-love in these gentle, uplifting, inspiring ways that help you get through the day. And there's like a very thin line, you know, between spiritual bypass and that. But I went through that. It was enormously healing. I stayed there for maybe 15 years and there was some overlap in there, you know, where I discovered shadow work through the work of Debbie Ford way back in the day. She was amazing because she made it real simple and modern and relatable. And honestly, like the positive self-talk, the positive thinking, the affirmations, that stuff is how I survived. I needed it to survive. And I think because I have that foundation, it allowed me to then go deeper. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to start there. And in the book that I'm writing, I basically, the entire first third of the book is on this, you know, replacing those negative, cutting, sarcastic voices that we have in our heads with with something not necessarily positive, because sometimes that can get, like you're saying, it leads you into spiritual bypass, but more neutral and more just accepting and, and, and compassionate for yourself. Compassionate it's, is a good word. When I, yeah. I first was introduced to affirmations and they were great. They took me so far. 
but they weren't super impactful because they were in someone else's language, you know, a book, maybe someone wrote five years before and they don't know me. But what I found the most helpful, I just made up. I noticed in the morning, I was just filled with dread. Getting out of bed was so hard. And so I kind of tuned in to my inner dialogue and it was horrifying. I was just saying the most awful, cruel things to myself. So I started talking to myself and saying things that I wish someone would say to me. And it was so awkward and phony and ridiculous at first. I didn't have any experience of anyone ever saying these things to me. So it just felt foreign, but I hung with it. And then it just became natural. And that is my inner dialogue now. But it took a long, long time to make, to set that new pattern. And I just persisted with it because, you know, you have those emotional breakthroughs, like the first time you do something and it clicks, it's just so deeply emotional. You're shaking and sobbing. I kind of live for that a little bit. I do like to go there because it's exciting, you know, and we are so mysterious even to ourselves. So when you touch on something big like that, it's profound. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important aspects of shadow work. And one of the ways that you can make sure that you're not engaged in spiritual bypass. I think a lot of people, they'll have an intellectual insight. And that's just not enough. You need a full body experience to really understand the insight. And so when you start shaking and crying, that that's an embodied response. And that's an indication that you've really done the work, mm-hmm. you know, because you're processing it through your body. Because oh, like we said last time we talked, so much of our shadow is literally stuck in our cells, in our musculature. And you need that that full cathartic response. Otherwise, it's just intellectual. You're still Absolutely. just in your head. And then this is why art is important. This is why we go watch a comedian or why we might even watch a sad movie. But it's interesting just maybe to watch yourself for a while for anybody who thinks this is all bullshit and you're so ready to kick Jennifer's ass, maybe mine too. (laughs) Um, Really notice the next time you're watching something and notice what your hands are doing. Are your hands tensing up? Has your breathing changed? Has your heart rate changed? You know, when you're really in the movie. Yeah. It's taking you through an emotional, physical experience. And that's what I mean by the unconscious mind doesn't know that what you're seeing isn't real and you're having the same exact experience as the character you're identified with. That's the proof of it. So if people can be mindful of that while they're watching a movie, which is a trick in and of itself, if you're mindful of it, the the process may not actually start. You may not actually have the full Projective identification is the term that we use in depth psychology for what I'm describing, where you're projecting yourself, you're identified with the the main character or even a side character or the villain. You know, I've known a lot of people who are identified pretty strongly with the villain in movies because that's the other way that I think particularly American movies kind of screw us up collectively they paint this picture that that the world and life is black and white. There's a good guy and there's a bad guy and the lines are clear. And I know movies have been moving more in the direction of anti-hero and trying to blur that line a little bit, but for the most part, it still holds true. You're rooting for the good guy and you're not looking at any of the ways the good guy might not actually be the good guy. 
I think you were saying in one of your Patreon podcasts about Indiana Jones, right? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's the good guy in that movie. Meanwhile, he's stealing other cultures, you know. Yes. Yes. Oh, I <laughs> had that thought. artifacts. <laughs> I had that thought way after. I was like, oh, this is my, my summer kind of icon. And I was like, but, 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 but isn't he just part of the problem? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I mean, he's like a colonizer's hero. Exactly. And that that's my other criticism of Western media is it reinforces all of the the cultural ideals that we've been carrying for so long that are really not good, hiding our shadow from us. We're, we're not looking at the ways that that imperial, you know, when the Americans show up, everything's going to be fine. No, <laughs> when the Americans show up, uh, it may not be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> look at Vietnam, look at Korea, look at all the ways that we have stomped all over this planet and other people, all in the name of we're the good guys. I'll give an example. I knew someone who believed so firmly in the good guy versus bad guy. And only she, she really, really believed that um, if you're a good guy, you can't go to prison. You'll be found innocent at trial if you have done nothing wrong. And she got herself into trouble, something that she didn't really do criminally, but she didn't understand that the court system isn't terribly interested in actual justice. It's more about the number of cases successfully prosecuted. She really believed what she'd seen in the movies all those years, that law and order. Oh, God, I feel for her because I really believe. Yeah, I really believed in fairness. It's only the last, gosh, yeah, six years of politics, maybe that I was like, oh, my God, oh, my, my Libra <laughs> is so activated right now. Where's the justice? Where's the fairness? And, yeah. and I keep waiting for it to be restored and it. It's not going to be. And then you yeah. just have to accept that and live with that. And it's it's really disturbing because yes. the world is not what you think it is. And mm-hmm. that that some people cannot contain that. I think most of us cannot contain that. So we go running to some sort of bypass or we get angry. You know, like something happens, some kind of denial or anger, or you just kind of go through a period of ragged confusion. Yeah. Yeah, it destroyed this woman's life. She went to, to federal prison for oh three years Lord. because she made choices. She she let the police, you know, she opened her whole life to them. She's like, I've done nothing wrong. Come look. And they took things that had nothing to do with the case and spun them to make them seem like she had done something wrong. They, they just really, they destroyed her life. And it, it was a hard lesson for her. So... Yeah, I think we're called now to be grown-ups, and that's challenging because I feel yeah. like we've been taught to be these like forever children, and you can have yep. whatever you want, and if you can dream it, you can be it, and it's all fair. You know, we have our justice system, and everybody has an equal chance to make it, and all this stuff, right? And I love all of that, but also we also have to grow up. And step to that point where we're in the light and the shadow and we can be discerning as we navigate through that. TV and movies give us all 
a lot of ideas about how the world works that's just not accurate on so many different levels, from the most extreme violence all the way down to the most everyday mundane experiences. I'll give you another example. Um, and I hope I don't sound judgmental when I give this example. I'd really, it's not about judgment for me. It's just, I just sat back when I had this experience with this person and just shook my head and like, oh my God, I know this is coming from romantic movies. I knew a woman, she was married to a really, really nice guy. They had a daughter. And one day she came to me and she's like, I, I'm getting a divorce. And I'm like, what? Why? And she's like, I'm just not in love with him anymore. Mm. And I said, Susan, where, where do, what do you mean you're not in love with him? She's like, well, I love him. He's the father of my daughter and he's really good to me. And then she starts to tell me all the ways that this is a really solid, good relationship. But she felt she had lost that swooning the movie, The movie magic is gone. Right. And what she failed to understand was that that's part of relationship evolution. It, you go in and out of that, uh, that feeling when you're in a long-term relationship, I think. But, but the, like the relationship can't be based on that. That's not, that's not healthy. And she didn't listen to me. That's okay. Um, she divorced him. And she went and repeated the same exact pattern with the next guy she married. About seven years in. 10 years in, she, oh, I'm not in love with him anymore. I'm like, stop watching romantic movies. <laughs> <laughs> because relationships are work and, and you know, it's commitment and, and those feelings aren't, that that's not what real love is. And I feel it, I feel sad for her. That's why I want to make sure that this doesn't come across as judgmental. I just, she's losing the depth of a relationship that because you have to you have to move through that phase and and come to the the real human connection not the projective kind that that romantic movies often spin up so yeah people are walking around with a lot of unrealistic expectations and confusion about how life, the universe, and everything works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, isn't this a fantasy? Can't you just stay out of our fantasy land? Can't we just have this? Because life itself is so hard. But I have heard people say, I've heard this said quite a few times, what you're saying is that, you know, the movie ends right when the real journey begins yeah. with these romantic love stories. And we need movies that show what you're talking about. Like, what is the joy of that depth? Why do we care about the depth? Why not just stay in the romance forever? Exactly. I, I caught a meme on, on Twitter. I think it was last week or the week before, actually, that was showing Titanic. And, you know, at the end of Titanic, we see Rose's life with the man that she ultimately married and had what looks like a really amazing, beautiful life with that man. But then the movie Titanic ends with her as an old woman on the boat, dying and going off to, to be with Jack. Like, what about <laughs> the guy you just spent, you know, probably 50 years with? I think that might be a little more important than the fling you had on this sinking ship. <laughs> never had that thought but thanks <laughs> yeah yes 
I, I will recommend a movie that has a happy ending that I think kind of combines the both. And that is Hope Floats with Jenna Rollins, Harry Connick Jr. and Sandra Bullock. I love it, but it's about the messiness of life. And there is the romantic happy ending. I'm not going to lie. And it is romantic and it is happy, but it's also about, you know, when your life falls apart and how difficult and challenging it is to bring yourself up from being humbled and flattened. And that is something I can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are, you know, I'm criticizing movies and TV right now, but there are lots and lots and lots of movies that, that, that do just what you said, that, that show closer to the reality of it. It's just so much of it at this point, especially is so just chock full of just really, really bad ideas. The other one that comes to mind, like when the Capitol was stormed on January 6th, I swore I was looking at a bunch of people who were were starring in their own action film. Oh, God, I totally know exactly what you're saying. Yes. Yep, because they were all seized by, by that archetype, basically. <gasps> they had lost control of themselves, and they were Jack Bauer or, uh, give me more action heroes, Keith I don't know, I'm not an action, I'm not an action hero um, person, yeah. <laughs> but I know what you're saying. And it's interesting because First Willis. <laughs> I'm super fascinated by propaganda. Edward, yeah. Edward Bernays, I recommend always people read the book Propaganda because mm-hmm. it really kind of just lays it out. Like, what is propaganda? How do we use it? And Hitler loved his work. Yep. And we learned a lot from watching Hitler and from Edward Bernays. And so our commercials, our movies, our TV, everything, all the media we consume is built on this foundation and it's empowering to know that because then you actually can enjoy it on another layer. Actually you can be like, Oh, 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 look at that. I see what they're doing there, you know, and it helps keep you outside of it. So you aren't so hypnotized by it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant when I was saying that it's a good way to look at what's going on in the collective unconscious. You can kind of get a feel for what's coming just by watching you know, the themes that keep emerging over and over and over again. And I also want to emphasize that I think this is in no way a deliberate act for people who write the movies and write the TV shows. I don't think anybody's sitting in the writer's room going, hmm, how can I, you know, insert propaganda into this? It's just, it's bubbling up from those writers' unconscious mind, and they're connected to the collective just like the rest of us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can really get a lot of information about what, what's going on. In Western culture, we have this collective worship of independence and like um, heroic autonomy. And what happens with that is when we see that reinforced over and over again, we find ourselves putting what are called dependency needs into our shadow. So what this looks like is the rugged hero. This is often uh, the male hero, but I think it happens for women too, where I must do everything myself. I cannot accept help from anybody. I cannot ask for help. To ask for help is to be weak. That trope gets recycled over and over again. And then what that does to us collectively is, oh, 
if, if I'm if I need help, I I need to keep that really hidden and quiet because it's bad to need help. Yeah. Meanwhile, we all need help. Nobody can create or do anything in life without relying on other people. We are an interdependent social species, and that's just the way it is. And our American culture is just very adverse to that. I'll never forget it back in 2008 when um, Obama and Romney were debating. And Obama was like, you didn't build that, Mitt Romney. And, you know, the whole entire media ecosystem blew up. Like, how dare he say that? Mitt Romney built everything all by himself. No, Obama was right. Like, the roads that we drive on were built by somebody else. The the person who stocks the grocery shelves to feed Mitt Romney, <laughs> you know, all the different ways that Romney is very much dependent on other people in order to be himself. We're all dependent on each other. Mm. Um, That's an interesting moment to pick out. And I, I totally see what you're talking about there because I would say Mitt Romney is one of the least offensive I agree. <laughs> politicians. And I feel like that's why he did not make the presidency. I think what you're talking yeah. about, what you're talking about going back to storming the Capitol and embodying these archetypes is people are really looking for something dramatic. And a yep. cause. And, and so that's easy to manipulate if they're in that state, right? And they're always then going to gravitate towards somebody who is ready to go to war. You know, like now our country is at war with itself. It's the most yeah. civil, civilized civil war we've ever had, you know, but it, it is like a social war and it's really destructive. Yeah. And, and we can look at that too, from the, from the perspective of what movies and television are doing. Now I am in no way making excuses for the extreme right wingers, but I think this has been a buildup of decades of being made fun of, you know, you make fun of the guy who lives out in the country and he isn't sophisticated and we don't have a lot of media that, that treats that segment of our population in any kind of a dignified way. And so that causes, I think, a, a psychological backlash. And that's part of why they're so pissed off. And similarly for minority people, the, the, this really breaks my heart, the way in which the stereotypes that, that get flung around in our media just reinforces the status quo Hollywood, I love you so much. Please do not be offended personally. It's not about you, but it's a very white space. There's, We're just now starting to see a, a more integrated set of stories coming out, but it's still a battle. Like, Friends, did you ever see a Black person on the TV show Friends? I don't yep. think I ever saw a Black person. In New York City. In New York City. That is something we're understanding representation now and... The main area I notice it in actually is fashion. I have been a fashion magazine devotee forever for better and worse, both. It's been bad. It's been good, but I love it. <laughs> I noticed this happening actually before, right before the Black Lives Matter movement really took off. Like last summer to me was like peak Black Lives Matter everything. And, and we all just were a part of this collective experience. But before that, I did start seeing 
the magazine industry, the fashion industry, starting to incorporate different shapes and colors and ages of bodies, which was so radical, and genders. And then in the last year, I mean, it's just interesting to see how white people get upset and say they're going to stop buying a magazine because they put like three black celebrities on the cover in a row and how dare they? (laughs) Oh my God, yeah. it's like, but do you know that it was like, 200 white celebrities in a row like yeah the pendulum is swinging (laughs) like can we be here for this because it's exciting it's good for all of us it's good for all of us to see representation and different forms of beauty and different life perspectives absolutely we need that more and more and I really I want to see the day like Jordan Peele I think is making some really amazing movies scary though they may be get out was really important because it kind of speaks to that so that's a scary movie you like yeah i haven't seen it i know people love it i avoid scary movies because here's the thing i usually do (laughs) (laughs) they they will haunt me and actually my son is really really sensitive so I do censor what my son watches because he has autism and he actually learns how to talk by watching TV, like he'll mimic a sentence. So he'll watch the same episode over and over and over again. And he'll memorize like the inflection and how someone's saying something. And so he will study what he's watching because he wants to be a part of everything. He wants to understand, but we are such foreign, strange creatures to someone like my son <laughs> that he, yeah. that, you know, I just am careful about what he watches because if something scares him, he doesn't really have the language to work through that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, more people could really learn from that (laughs) because we're desensitized. That's the other, that's the other side effect of, of the media we've all been exposed to for so long. You get very desensitized to violence and cruelty and just very destructive behavior. Because we've seen it so many times. And like you were saying earlier, the ratcheting up, uh, it has to get more and more extreme the more time goes on. Uh, I never used to see torture in films when I was a kid. And then torture became kind of just everywhere. Mm. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to say about media and being careful with it, one of the most important tasks when you're doing shadow work long term is you've got to be able to separate yourself from the culture long enough to be able to see what's yours and what's collective. Mm. You can't really figure out who you are when you're still swimming in, in the waters of the, of the culture. To be truly individuated means you've got to kind of be a hermit for a little while. I think you've got to kind of turn and, and walk away from the collective to sort yourself out and and start to separate. What does that look like for, what does that look like for a busy modern person? That looks like not watching television or movies for a little while. You know, I don't, for me personally, I haven't watched anything in almost three years and it's really helped me be able to, to look more deeply at myself and, and figure out, start to own my, my alienness, my weirdness in a way 
that I don't think I could if I were still exposed to television and movies on a daily basis. For somebody who's not ready to go that radical, because I recognize that that's radical, just even a diet, you know, I'm not going to watch anything for, for a week or even a day. Because the other part of the media landscape right now is it's addictive. It's an addiction just like any other. It's just a more socially acceptable addiction. And Netflix in particular and a lot of the streaming services have that kind of built into their interface. So when you're watching a Netflix show, last I did anyway, the credits are rolling on one episode and the next one is already queued up. Yes. Right? It's built in to keep you seated there staring at that television for many, many, many hours. If you listen to the creators of these things or the CEOs of like Netflix, if you listen to interviews with them, you will hear them talk about this and how this is intentional. They're not trying to ruin your life. They're just trying to have a successful business. But what's happening now is all these streaming platforms are in competition with each other. And so it's more important than ever that they keep you on the platform. And this is true of YouTube. This is true of all the online things in addition to entertainment that you consume. And so it just requires healthy boundaries with yourself. Right. And a lot of people don't really have that capacity. Again, I think it's an addiction. It's like trying to quit a drug. It takes a lot of strength and not everybody has that strength. So yeah. And try not doing it. Try going on a little diet and maybe have a notebook handy so you can track the experience and notice how uncomfortable you are because mm -hmm. that that's something you can work with. You could be like, Oh my God, I could not make it 12 hours without a podcast. Why? <laughs> you know? right. exactly. you, should, you should always listen to the hippie witch podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Do you have some, some favorites that you can recommend to people, a book or anything that is, a form of entertainment that you think is actually healthy and can add to your life? Oh, no is a fair answer. I will say to you. Yeah, no, no. Um, and because that's my other point. So when you're, when you're watching television and movies, when you're seeking to be entertained, you are giving your imagination to whoever made that entertainment for the duration I think it would be wonderful and awesome if people instead used their own imaginations mm. uh, to entertain themselves. So one of the things that I love doing probably more than anything else is going on journeys, inner journeys. I always come back with gold from my shadow when I do this. I always learn something about myself when I do this. And I'd way more rather go on an inner journey than, than give my imagination to a corporation for four or five hours. <laughs> wow. This is so, I'm so curious to see how people are going to respond to this. Yeah. I'm I've been nervous for weeks. I'm like, Oh God, people are not going to want to hear this. Oh God, this is not going to go well. Thank you for going there though, because I think so many conversations go unheard because of this climate we're talking about. Everything we're talking about really feeds into this need to pick a team, stick to that team, and ride or die. Never, you know, never give an inch to the opposition. 
That means yeah. no discernment. That means yep. no nuance. That means yep. no free thinking, no critical thinking. You join this team and that's it for life. There are two clear teams. Which one are you on? Go. And yeah. it, it, that is not, that's not who I am. So I often just stay out of conversations because I don't have the courage to just be like, look, this is nuanced. Because the minute you say that, everybody's like, ah, you're an enemy, traitor, you know? I know it, it. It again. This is one of the many ways that the, the media is really affecting us on a on so many different levels. And like when I've had personal conversations with people about how I don't watch TV, I'm running into the same response almost every time. First, they get really scared and what do you mean you don't watch TV? <laughs> then they're like, "What am I going to talk to you about?" Mm. There's no way to. Um, they believe anyway that they can't have a conversation with me because there's nothing to talk about. All they want to talk about is what happened in the last episode of Game of Thrones or, you know, whatever TV show they're they're really excited about in that moment. And I think that it also just kind of makes me a little more alien. They're like, what do you mean you don't watch TV? That's, a, that's not a thing, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> But it is. It is a thing. And my life has been so much more peaceful. My creative life exploded when I stopped watching TV. Again, not just in the the shamanic journeying stuff that I was just talking about a few minutes ago, but also my own writing has gotten deeper and richer and more fulfilling for me as a creator. My art I have so much more time to do things that really, truly fulfill my soul, my interactions with my family. We don't sit and watch TV passively, you know, ships passing in the night kind of thing where we actually engage and talk to each other and have fun together in ways that that don't involve the television. I'm, I'm more bonded to my family than I ever was. Yeah. because of this so maybe, maybe dust off a game or a puzzle from the closet yeah. you know and have an exactly. experience we play D&D um every week we play D&D together oh, and so talk fun. about shared space imagination you know we're all contributing to the story unfolding in real time when we play that game together so I'll, I don't think I'll ever go back but I still get it. Like people are like, oh, you have to watch this. You're, you, you haven't lived if you haven't seen this. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like what you are representing is something, it is radical. It's radical. It's extreme. Mm-hmm. And that there's benefit in having that experience. And maybe then you decide, like Jennifer did, I, I actually like this better. I'm going to live my life like this. I'm a person less extreme, but I do employ some of what you're saying. My rule is I want to create more than I consume. Yeah. So that kind of keeps it in check for me. I did not expect to flash back to the 80s movies and all the nerd versus the popular kid thing. So now (laughs) you've added a layer that I'm actually noticing because what I would avoid, I don't want to see a graphic rape I don't want to see graphic violence. I don't want to see torture. I don't need to see those things. I'm already afraid of them. I know they exist. I don't need to do that to myself. But 
then when I take it even further to these social dynamics, it's like, good Lord, is there anywhere safe I can go? <laughs> just want to no. watch a movie. <laughs> no, yeah, that that's that's exactly what I mean. It's it's pervasive and it's it's gotten worse and worse throughout my lifetime and it's just uh it's just not good for people's soul and it also cuts us off from nature like you asked also what what how do you entertain yourself if you're not watching tv i go outside constantly and i'm watching right now this amazing play with this group of hummingbirds there's like i don't know eight or nine of them and they're you just sit outside and they zoom 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 all over the place um i didn't know hummingbirds could be jerks they fight i know they're aggressive (laughs) as hell (laughs) (laughs) until i started watching the theater of the hummingbirds yeah watching nature is is really wonderful and i think also the need the need for entertainment in our country, I, I don't think that's a normal, natural human thing. Um, it's a simulation. Yeah. And the simulation can never have the depth of the real thing. And for those who are interested in the vagus nerve polyvagal theory, that's been really hot for the last, what, five years or so? Mm-hmm. And, and picking up steam, there is a direct relationship between how your vagus nerve performs and being out in nature, even like in a forest for 20 minutes will make you more Mm -hmm. calm and less anxious. And then when I think about data like that, I think, isn't it interesting that we have all this entertainment at our fingertips? You couldn't possibly get to it all in a lifetime and people more than ever are suffering from anxiety and feeling wrung out and even at home during a pandemic, when they're not going to work, they feel more stressed out than ever because I think we're just being bombarded with these simulations and it's taking us further and further away from who we are. Yeah, exactly my point. That's exactly why I turned it all off three years ago and I'm unlikely to ever really go back to it. Oh, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to seduce you. (laughs) I don't know with what, but I'm going to keep an ear out like, ooh, this is a Jennifer Hill kind of (laughs) movie. Well, that's what's funny. I don't even own a television. Oh, really? I got rid of them. Yep. I don't have a way to watch. I mean, I guess I could watch something on a a computer screen or something. A couple of months ago, my dad and I got in a big, a friendly fight. Nobody was Mm -hmm. really mad, but, but we get in fights. My dad and I, we like to poke at each other and he tells me we didn't have a TV for part of my childhood. And I was like, absolutely not. You are dreaming. You're imagining this. This is a fantasy about the kind of parent you wish you were. <laughs> you know, it was like that. And so we're going back and forth. <laughs> my parents are divorced. So I called my mom. I'm like, mom, dad says we didn't have a TV when we were a kid. And I know for a fact that that's not true. And she's like, actually, I think it is true. But you were like two. So you didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But people, my point is people were thinking about this stuff in the 70s. Like people were concerned concerned and like apparently they took our tv and moved it into the garage for I don't know how long it was but a period of time because they were concerned yeah I think it was Terrence McKenna used to talk about you know getting away from from television and movies for precisely the reasons I'm discussing here as well when you're immersed in that you're you're immersed in the dominant value system of the culture and you're tuned into that instead of your soul. 
So, oh my God, you just mentioned my intellectual boyfriend. I love him so yeah. much. He's so Look. wonderfully weird and out there and fun to listen to. My Lord, I love, thank God that we have these recordings of him because he's no longer on the planet, but he was mm-hmm. a trip. I think Ram Das also <gasps> was advocating the same thing. He's also one of my heroes. Um, so. Oh my God, I love you, Jennifer. I love them. These are, <laughs> these are my guys. And there's a conversation with those two together if you've never seen it. Oh, I'm going to have to find that. That's gold. <laughs> that it, it is. Just to see those two, because they're so different, but also getting at the exact same point, but also so quirky and eccentric in their individual ways that watching them, they're just sitting at this table, like eating brunch and drinking and chatting. I think they're in Prague. And it's so, if you love those people, it's a thrill. Yeah, I'm going to have to dig that up for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, this was amazing. Um, Instead of the usual question, first, let's tell people how to find you. Where can they find you? Okay, you can find me on the internet at jenniferhillphd.com. And then you can connect with me on Twitter. Twitter did a funny thing to my handle. It's at jenniferhillph1 because it couldn't handle PhD or something, which is fine. (laughs) Um, Twitter is where I'm most active. I'm not really great with website stuff, so I actually haven't posted a blog post in like a year. <laughs> you're, <laughs> but, wonder, um, you, you're wonderful on Twitter. I think what you're yeah. doing on Twitter is a service because you highlight interesting things that other people are saying, and you're constantly talking about shadow work. Yeah, yeah, because that's my thing. And uh, I just really want people to be able to do it with compassion for themselves and in safety and love so that they can actually heal. Cause people think shadow is all about how you're bad. And it really is. It's just where you're wounded. I love find that. me on Twitter. And then my book, um, I'm hoping to have it finished by the end of the summer. That might be ambitious knowing me, it's likely ambitious, but um, I'm, I'm at 200 pages at this point, like uh, 60,000 words and, uh, my outline, I've about, got about two-thirds of my outline left to to flesh out. Well, keep going because we're all very excited to read yeah. it. Yeah. I don't and know what a publisher is going to do. I don't know if they're going to hold it until next year, likely, because it's pretty slow, the publishing industry. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll see what they do with it. Well, hopefully you can come back and promote it here. Absolutely. That would be awesome. Okay, so let's end with something different. Since you already answered my usual question of what, you know, how do you create the kick ass life of your dreams? What can you say to people who you think shadow work is not appropriate for at this time that maybe they need some support or I I think shadow work is for everyone. Maybe you're it not is. ready for it right now in some depth, but I'm interested to hear your take on it. It is, but for people, so the caution that I have up on Twitter, it's my pinned tweet. It's for people with what's called the scapegoat complex. So that is when you were basically made the person responsible for all your family stuff, all your peer group stuff. People just blame you for everything. And you then internalize the idea that you are inherently evil or inherently bad or inherently unworthy For people who are suffering from that complex, the best thing to do is to look for all the ways that you are good 
instead of the ways that you are bad. And look for ways to be as compassionate towards yourself as possible and start to really dismantle the negative voices that live inside your brain that tell you that you're bad or tell you that just because you said that silly thing, that means that nobody's ever going to talk to you ever again or you know, the scapegoat complex, it's nasty. It's very hard for me to separate inner child work from shadow work. It feels the same to me. And because maybe, it is. Yeah. And I think this is where the self-talk really comes in because yep. start thinking, I'm just going to add here because I can <laughs> start thinking about if you had the dream parent, the most patient, loving parent, who will let you make all the mistakes and love you anyway, what would that person say to you? And then be, exactly. that, be that voice, let it be foreign, let it be awkward, but be that voice persistently until you start to believe it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Because again, those internalized voices can be terribly ab- abusive and often come from our childhood experiences with our own parents and teachers and peers and so on. And you've got to, you've got to love yourself through that. And I do want to emphasize what you just said. Shadow work is truly inner child work. Your shadow gets formed the minute your ego gets formed and then more and more gets added to your shadow as you grow up. So part of what I'm working with in my writing right now is helping people to understand that developmentally, If you get stuck in one of the earlier stages of development because you experienced trauma or abuse back then, your shadow work task is to go back, experience that pain all over again, but consciously, and then reparent yourself through that developmental stage because your development got got stuck there and you never finished the process. Arrested development. Yeah. It's a TV show. It's also I know. <laughs> it's also a way of life for some of us. I yep. definitely this is why I'm giving so much love to my inner teenager because she creates a lot of problems for me. Yeah. Because she was abandoned and so now I have chosen to not abandon her and to love her and it's pretty magical. Yeah, it really is. It's it, That's why I love shadow work. I think it's the most deeply spiritual thing we can do for ourselves. It's truly healing those wounds from long, long ago so that you can be happy, you know, and not happy in the way movies make you seem like you're <laughs> going to be happy, but but just truly content with, with yourself uh, and your life. Yeah, content so. is a good word because I feel yeah. like a happy person, but I cry all the time. <laughs> mm, me too. <laughs> you just got to let it move through you and be like, this is happening now. Now I am crying. I'm feeling sad. That does not mean that's who you are. That means an emotion, a feeling is moving through you. Exactly. Yay. Well, I feel your deep sincerity and commitment to this work. And it's a huge honor to have you back on the podcast. So thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate your work. And here's to healing ourselves and hopefully maybe other people along the way. (laughs) This is hilarious. 
I have been waiting for my neighbors to stop partying so I could record the end of this podcast and tell you that the Shadow Love Summer Camp 50% off sale is still going on. But my neighbors are not going to stop partying, so I'm just going to roll with it. Do you hear that? (laughs) I don't even know if you guys can hear it. It's loud. There's kids screaming. There's music bumping. There's lots of laughing. I can't be mad at it. I'm just going to proceed. The Shadow Love audio journey is 50% off, but that sale's about to end. I'm going to be wrapping up Shadow Love Summer Camp soon. I want to do a long solo podcast. I really want to talk about outing the shadow and how that could actually be an empowering thing. And then also I still have the module for shadow love that I want to add. I need to record that still. So I'm going to do those things next week and then we will wrap it up. And I have one fun last interview that I will then air to end season five. Season five of the Hippie Witch Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with me here. If you want to take advantage of that sale, by the way, the password is groovy. Just put groovy in at checkout. You can find the link in the show notes. It'll roll 50% off the price. I hope you got something good out of this Shadow Love Summer Camp series that I did kind of here just in the middle of season five just for the heck of it because I felt like it I certainly loved doing this something I just know from being a podcaster and a content creator for many many years on the internet is that summer is really slow so a lot of creators will just take that time off or create less But I just wanted to do a concentrated thing this year because I just think the world is extra strange right now. And some people are not coping with it very well. Some people need a little bit of extra support or a friend. And so I'm here for those people right now. And then when people come back and they're excited to kick butt in the fall and they're in podcast listening mode, all this content will be there for those people too. So win-win in my opinion. I hope you're having an amazing summer so far, a very happy autumn transition, and until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.